Welcome back to another episode of Flow Aligned Podcast, also known as Fat Nation. Thank you for tuning in once again. On this side, you have me, Sumana Chatterjee. I'm a flow state coach. I help people feel better and perform better. And on the other side, we have Ryan Gaffer Khan. He's your data aligned coach, as well as he helps you with business processes. Today, we're going to be talking about leading a tribe and the idea of accurate self-assessments, as well as the importance of voice. It's gonna be a great episode and I already feel it. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, I have a bit of a cold, a bit of a neck ache, and of course, doing the busy routines all the way in cold ass Netherlands, but thank God the weather is better. Now, before this, of course, we had some fun warming up, vibing, and a lot of topics came up. Things like, you know, uh, ACD's recent boot camp on tribal leadership and the importance of coming from a place of ease and recognizing that you know all this ease is is a challenge to improve. Now the topic of voice specifically hits me on a personal level because when I was but a young child, I mean. Um, I used to be really scared to speak up, really scared to use my voice in an artful manner. Now, as you get older, of course, you realize it doesn't have to be the case. Because as per, you know, uh, your mind in a state of ease, or at ease with itself, I'm not sure who wrote the book, I keep forgetting her name. It's, it's realizing that your interpretation of the situation does not have to be the case. So after the public speaking and finding out that there's a lot of leisure to be had in a painful situation like public speaking, especially speaking towards strangers or people that whose, whose opinion you deem very worthy or very strongly, you start to realize the moment you have fun, making mistakes ain't so bad. What are your thoughts about that, Sumit? Yeah, man, that's very true. I think a lot of people get stuck in their heads and they don't allow themselves to express themselves opposite of depress, right? To push down, to, to squeeze out. And, you know, I've, I've had a similar upbringing or growing up, I didn't really express myself to my fullest capacity, you could say. And I noticed that one of the differences is I was afraid of what other people thought of me. So it was this judgment, persona, and decision-making fatigue a lot of times held me back. So when I started to transform my own judgment into curiosity, instead of judging my own voice, I started to get more curious about it. Why am I not saying what I want to say? You know, why am I putting on this show, I used to have this presenter voice in my videos when I first started out. I was like, hey there guys, welcome to my video. Would you like to, you know, and it's very, very, this, this kind of fake voice, right? It's not really authentic voice and finding your authentic voice is so important in all areas of life, right? Communication is so important. One of my mantras, man meaning mind, tries an instrument or a tool. One of my affirmations or mantras or auto suggestions you could say, there's so many words for that, right? Auto-suggestions, incantations, anyway, um, is I speak my inner truth. I speak my inner truth. And that really helped me to bring out whatever was stuck in my own voice, my throat chakra, you could say. It opened up an aspect of my truth through my words. And immediately when we hear someone's voice, we can tell when they're being fake, when they're being too loud, you know, when they're BSing, when they're, when it's not nice to hear, when it's nice to hear, when it's very soothing. Take the example of like, you take any Disney character, right? Like you take a villain's voice, they automatically have this voice that you don't like to hear. It's always like, <laughs> you know, it's always like very like screechy and high pitched and strange and distorted. I think something that makes a voice interesting is, first of all, unpredictability in the sense of not like they're speaking like this, you know, it's not like that, but 
in the right moments, they're not being monotone, right? So they're, they're flowing with it. Their, their communication is very fluid. In music, you would say it's legato, not staccato. Staccato is very like, and I went to the supermarket, right? It's very choppy. Legato is like, hey man, I went to the supermarket. It's very flowy. And I think that that ability to have that voice, I mean, I, I speak about this in my, uh, in my course, Verbal Vinyasa, is you wanna imagine your words having an image. So like, let's say you want to impact an audience, you imagine your words being like a boulder and it's hitting the, the person in the back. It's gonna sound, eh, it's gonna sound very different than if you're just throwing darts at people or a machine gun of just speaking like this very fast. There's a specific tonality to the voice. There's a specific image to the voice. There's a specific storyline to why you got that voice. Maybe you smoke, maybe you have, you know, a specific kind of um, voice, which is more masculine. Maybe you have a, a deeper voice. So there's all of these different, you know, ideas around voice. And I think how we've grown to expand our own voices and learn from other people's voices, getting inspired by sometimes speakers. I, I find myself talking like AZD at times or like Shane Smith or like VK. I'll have some of their mannerisms, I mean, as I'm speaking. And I noticed that and I'm like, that is cool. The more people we listen to that we like to hear, we start to emanate and emulate the way that they speak. So I think that's really cool. Interesting you should say that because isn't it funny how they did a research on a cat from Japan sounds way different than a cat from, you know, India or China or you name it. So, so you can almost say that animals as well have, you know, the way of expression, but also from a cultural perspective have an accent. Now, do I believe, especially on IG, Instagram, you would have a guy that would do, you know, cat sounds in an accent where he would say meow meow or whatever, and the cat would react to it. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is what Sumit was going on about had a lot to do with learning by osmosis. I believe uh, in our last talk, we uh, talked about the importance of osmosis and associating yourself with the knowledge that you're seeking, the people that you want to work with, uh, you know, the, the, the famous saying, if you have five rich friends, you might as well be the sixth because inevitably on a subconscious level, you get some form of knowledge. It's like what ACD says on the moment you go to a group, you have no choice but to follow its culture should you want to join. And it impacts the way you speak as well and it impacts the way you use your voice as well. And the same way, if you would coach a student, you speak in a totally different manner to when you are speaking with your mother or to a friend. And all of this has again to do with your level of control and ease with the situation, as well as you know collaborating or in a no in a collaborative manner going about the situation. Yeah, I love that idea of osmosis, man. Because yeah, that it's basically like you're creating a filter, right? Osmosis is like a filter. And so you are basically getting these blueprints from other people, how they use their voice. And then you're getting inspired by them, meaning they're breathing life into you, like they're giving you energy. And there's this understanding of, you know, accuracy. So I know we're going to talk about this idea of, you know, accurate self-assessment. And it's so funny because I started talking about it. And then you told me that the Daily Stoic a book for today 
as that specific topic, which is very yeah, it's difficult. it's often very uh, funny when you say there's no such thing as coincidences, and yet to have you know a a an author uh, and a well-known Stoic Stoic practitioner just write a book and on this specific day talk uh, about this uh, has written for this specific day and then to me just coming about oh yeah let's do something about accurate self-assessment and maybe go didn't i read something about this very recently yeah and it's like are you reading my mind to me is is this something to do with you know uh, birds of a feather flock together which again has to do with uh, the the weirdness of doing ACD's rituals that mm-hmm. the moment you follow a path that inevitably will you deal with you know similar situations and the strangeness about this is again there is self-assessment within the ritual because well, to say something on that because you said coincidences the word coincidence in math to coincide it actually means to fit together perfectly so if we were looking at it very logically like what ryan holiday thought of in that moment and what i was going through in my own day in my moments they fit perfectly so they coincided in a sense so yeah go ahead i just wanted to point that out to the audience that you know we can use our logic to sometimes see synchronicities and yes yeah. through the that we learn about them, yeah. I see, I see. Well, my, my only addition to that would be if you follow a, a wave, so to speak, or a, a, a traffic lane, so to speak, inevitably, if you keep following the traffic lane, you will end up at the destination where others have tread before. So in a way, I would almost say, we, as students of Stoicism, are trending closer and closer to what is true Stoicism for us. Yeah. True, man. And I'm just reminded of, you know, how synchronicities, they're just a reminder of the singularity, that we're all one. That's like one of the purposes of, like Carl Jung talked about the idea of collective unconscious, like that whole idea is just to remind us that we're all connected in some way. So right, that's how take it more right brain you could say approach fair enough yeah. fair enough so a few things just came up one um i do believe that if there is a universal consciousness that we as a human race have a have a let's say a conscious individual mind but a subconscious hive mind there's this, and I'm saying this because of where we've been going through this process of literally building character through cold baths and whatever. And the more I, I, I look into it, the more I realize, isn't it funny how something, 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 and that maybe Rick Lamoy has a, a very similar experience and then the similarity starts to add up. I'm like, wait a minute. This might be the effect of being of a subconscious hive mind, but of an individual uh, conscious mind. And going from there, you would have, he who follows nature's path will get nature's fruits. And this has again to do with something that ACD says on the closer you are to nature, the, the more you will be rewarded by it. Hence, we did the whole switch from, you know, we're not just pickup artists or Phoenician artists, we're actually building a tribe and what's important in a tribe, proper leadership and relationship management. And all from what place? A place of ease and proper self-assessment. Yeah. It's like accurate thinking, but also accurate feeling, right? So it's like heart and mind working together. And that's when you have that, that sense of alignment or flow state. You know, when you said that, 
the idea of the collective mind. I just looked this up the other day. It's actually going to be my next post for uh, my check-in tomorrow, but I'm going to reveal it to the audience listening because, yeah, it's a very powerful statement. So I found out that who or Hugh is a name for God in Sufism, right? And I found that man is a proto-Indo-European root connected to the word men, which means to think or to, it means mind essentially. Man in Sanskrit also means mind. So in the language itself, it's telling us that human, humans are God's mind. So when I, when I first learned this idea, you know, it's very, I guess I'm stretching the boundaries because what Sufism and Sanskrit, I don't know if they have a similar root or, you know, this idea, but when I found this out, you know, I was like, wow, you know, this is the idea that, oh, I forget his name, but um, Yeah, I forget his name, but he's one of those manifesting guys like Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, like one of those uh, people. And he stated something very similar in his texts. So Neville Goddard, that's his name, yeah, Neville Goddard. So Neville Goddard was talking about a very similar idea of, you know, we are tapping into this God's mind and God's thinking in a way. And Hugh Mann, and I believe AZD also said that Hugh is like a color, like for the color spectrum, we use the term hue to describe that as well, right? So it's the spectrum, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's super deep and super profound and interesting. But yeah, now it's about, you know, how can we embody this teaching of being a human, being a human, right? It's like Buddha said to you must test my words. You know, Seneca said you must embody the philosophy that you have. So what are some ways to apply this and being human, I guess, one of the ways is through gnosis, and gnosis is something, it's a, it's a term I recently came across through studying Frank White stuff, as well as, you know, studying a lot of occultism. A gnosis is the experiential knowledge of an awakened consciousness. So it's basically expansion for self-knowledge through perception. So it's perceptible knowledge. It's knowledge that we can feel through experiences. It's not, we can't learn it in a book or in a school or by studying from a mentor. It's something to be felt from the heart is what they believe. So Gnostic wisdom is basically creating the science of consciousness, right? So it's the doctrine of the heart, as they say. So it's, it's only from that spiritual spark or that flame from which this heart principle or doctrine can be learned. It can't be learned from any other you know, book or, or lecture but it's what we understand and interpret beyond labels, beyond beliefs, beyond you know, ideas, beyond philosophies, but it's the wisdom of unconditioned perception. So you know how the, the Taoists have this idea of the uncarved block. So what they believe is we have to go back to our original nature without conditioning because we've chipped away at our mind and made ourselves into this particular person. I have to be this specific way. I have to be a professional at all times. I cannot break my character. Instead of that, it's like learning to understand that there is this idea of um, living without any filters or any kind of vagueness, right? It's like being able to understand there is this limitless potential available. And it is through our field of perception that we can transform that and change our reality. So the difference between success and failure is perception, right? Um, it's how you choose to see it. So yeah, that's what's coming up for me. I know that's a really wide, <laughs> it's a huge topic. It might've expanded somebody's brain right now. Maybe they're in the car wondering like, whoa, I am a human, I'm God's mind. <laughs> but yeah, um, what do you think about that, man? Well, first things first, this is kind of like uh, reading a good story. I like how you go on about that. Yeah, human is minds, God's mind in a way, because I, dare I say, what if, and this is just a hypothesis I'm coming up with on the spot, what is, we are equally responsible for creating God as well as being created by God. 
it is that's a hypothesis i i have no idea if that's true because yeah and we created basically the idea of the all or god or whatever and i'm not being to offend anyone but this is just interesting symbol as well right because it's like illuminati is obviously bastardized it and used it in their own way it's just propaganda propaganda right but the main idea of that eye of horus was so that who is the interpreter of this reality it's god right god is the interpreter it's his eye that's like you know in a sense is the observer and what they used to believe is that the person with the highest ment- attention or mental bandwidth created the reality so the person who could comprehend the most became the leader so that's why it's the hierarchy of course the 13 rungs of the pyramid 13 levels of illuminati whatever that that thing is i'm not going to go there because for the conspiracy boy, boy but, don't even uh, get me started um uh, yeah that the idea of you know the eye is just a reminder of us where to pay attention and building that attention, building our focus so that we can create the reality that we want through God's inter- interpretation, through the all. Right, 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 right. So creating through the all. Remember when I said um, we are, I, I think, I'm not sure if, if, if I actually have proof of this, this is a gut feeling that I have. I, I really believe that consciously we are, you know, individual minds, but subconsciously we are like of one mind. Like in that sense, we, we know what is good and what is bad. Of course, there are exceptions, you know, nature versus nature. But going on to that idea, you know a leader when you see one. It is in the way that he acts. How do you know subconsciously that it is the case? It's because of that pre-programming that goes on millions and millions of years, right? And is it that I am God, but I'm also myself? You know, coming from um, the Kibelion itself? In a way, yes. But to a degree, because as the Kabilion says, there's, you know, within different planes, you have a lot of degrees from that which you can touch to that which you can hear and see. Hence, where we're talking about the four dimensions and above, who knows what can be between the spaces. Now, what does this have to do with the self assessment or the accurate self assessment is the realization of where do you start from going to his book of you know ryan holiday uh daily stoic chapter today uh march second it goes on about you should be basically not what maybe where is not the right word but conscious of are you overestimating your abilities that you think you're confident in and are you undervaluing your abilities that you think don't amount to much or come from a place of fear of whatever negative association? To give an example again, never in my life would I have thought that I would you know, actually get a black belt until I fell in love with fighting. And then, of course, you would get a black belt because you fell in love with the arts and the discipline, meaning I was finally on code. And it had to do with a lot of self-assessment. Even in martial arts, you would have that because the proof is literally, you know, quote, unquote, in the pudding. You go out there to fight. You're being judged by multiple referees, fair or unfairly, and masters in their own art and then surely but surely you start to realize it was never about simply fighting it was more than simply self-expression it was doing martial arts as a form of you know self-assessment in a way 
because what is more accurate for let's say men in general to prove yourself than to prove yourself in case of a good fight? What is my prowess? It goes again back to what AZD said on, he couldn't understand why, you know, classical martial artists would want to kill each other and yet out of respect for each other, give each other a proper burial. It's like, bro, I would piss on his corpse, what the hell? Until he understood the ethics behind that and to be a good man also means that if there was a camera on me, would I want to see myself doing that? At least that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, that's so TPM. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. You know, shameless plug-in. Um, and it also made me realize business without ethics, or better said, anything without character because it stems from character. You can't have one without the other. Made me realize uh, the importance of, you know, coming from a place of ease, the playfulness of it all, and my own relationship with the idea of being a leader. Now, to me, when I start to use my voice way more, which, you know, through this podcast and doing delivery, uh, delivery uh, exercise with Vince Kelvin or whatever made me realize I am very comfortable with being the trusted advisor and communicating from that perspective or that archetype that is innate within me. And yet I was not comfortable with being the leader because maybe one, I didn't think I deserved it until later realize that the biggest trusted advisor there can be is the leader because that's literally what a leader does. He advises, he delegates. And it's the same thing. It's the same funny story of someone, you know, in the most enunciated way with the most rich vocabulary speaking about how he can't enunciate and has zero vocabulary or you know has no game or states he has no game yet when he you know talks to his clients he doesn't realize that he's gaming his clients it's that same disassociation that starts to realize and has yet to fully accept that yes ryan as g has not only the potential of being a true proper tribal leader but also maybe already is it's like at home well, Bob Proctor you're only one paradigm shift away from being in a completely new life which connects directly to the difference between success and failure is the perception yeah or as Joe Nicasio would say you're one sales transaction away from improving your economy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. Also, you know, I'm too blessed to be stressed, which directly links. <laughs> which the millennials with, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, every time. Yeah, it, this is the slight annoyance I have with this coaching. Every, I, I know what it's going to say, but out of politeness, I ask, so how are you doing, Joe? And then he always answers with, I'm too blessed to be stressed, which on the one hand is a very amusing thing to say, but it's also his mantra, which also directly links to one of the foundations of ACD's tribal leadership uh, messages. Leadership or anything done from a place of genuine love and ease outmatches, or better said, is superior and senior to anything else because I'm not trying to make, you know, let's say a client or a girlfriend or whomever, your mother, let's say you have a, a, a yeah, you should have done the dishes. Well, she's not wrong, but let's make her more right, which is a completely different way than current society is doing it. 
Like, yeah. I'm not trying to be wrong. Don't make you wrong. I'm trying to make the moral right wrong. And that's... What? No, go ahead. Go. I, I just love this podcast. I just have to mention that. Because you get so many downloads, man. As you're speaking, like, I can... I can link up all the different things that you're saying with like different experiences or thoughts that I've been having. So yeah, I just wanted to state that. But part of me, because I'm also kind of a data scientist, I say kind of because I've, I'm doing a master's studies as well as uh, actually doing, you know, side hobby projects. It made me realize if we could put our minds in a graph, how would it look like? Like what, what kind of memes and pop-ups would just come out and also realizing that that would be the bird of Skynet in a way, which sort of exists through Google now. To go back to um, what we were discussing, one of the greatest things I started to realize was my greatest successes, especially in academics, and not even academics, in both career academics and in martial arts, was the moment I started to do everything from a, a point of ease and genuine care and love to my counterparts, my work and whatever, I started to see success because in a way I perceive things. You know, every time a client would come with extra questions that we could have done beforehand, the moment I treated it from a place of ease and realizing I am here to help make them more right. Of course, back then I formulated as in, I'm here to deliver the most excellent service I can humanly give. I started to get success. And the moment it started to fall off was, if I, and let's say, quote unquote, hypocritical in another aspect of my life, let's say with chores, it will inevitably trickle down or broadly in the rest of my life. And I started to realize this last night when, of course, in my household or my household, my family's household, I am responsible for especially doing the dishes at night. And uh, the, the, the funny thing about that is occasionally people uh, like to pile up a lot. I mean, like, like all the dishes, like anything, and you have to be like, okay with that. And realizing one, it's already past 10. We just had the Einstein lecture, which already takes a lot of energy. We've done busy, I feel a bit sick, my neck hurts. What can I do to make my own situation better than realizing stoicism? Stoicism, I was preparing for this. Now what would be the hard thing? I was preparing for this because it heals me. Something that AZD talked about. Every challenge, tribulation you go through is something that can heal you, not just build you, but can heal you. What if Hercules was strong? Not because he had a strong body or a fantastic willpower, but he uses his willpower and strength economically through the correct thinking system because inevitably, even though he's a demigod, he's still a you man, which means God mind. So what would be the most optimal way to think about doing this absolutely shitty task? Making it into a game. And what does making games mean? And why you know, is uh, our, why is the art of making games so important? It's so important because, sorry, let me finish my point. It's so important because it gets the job done because you add, let's say in my case, I would add an altruistic value to it. I add to this family, I get, you know, family points. But I do this as well for myself because I imagine washing the dish in and of itself cleans my soul, cleans my, you know, my akra, my uh, kokoro, my heart. And 
through that, I started to realize this morning when listening to the first lecture of uh, AZD's bootcamp tribal leader, an effective leader creates games for a purpose. In a relationship between men and women or a man and women, boredom becomes deadly. And he who can create a good game loses. Thus, it immediately connects to the game of frames. You see where this goes? It connects to the game of frames because I create a game as a man, because you know, I want everyone to participate and have fun. And, um, and within a game, what would you have rules? And in this case, a social game has social rules, social boundaries. And then you have all these connections that start to start to click. And if you view it as a game, no wonder things become easier. It, and it brought me immediately back to when did Taekwondo become really fun? The moment I started to see it as less of a fight and more of a play, we are playing Taekwondo. We are playing Kapuwiran. We are playing Basin Jujutsu. And it all goes back to, of course, going in the state of flow. And the whole idea of after I got my black belt, I started to see to look back at, you know, where did my successes come from and how can I recreate it? And I think I was at my most disciplined when I had my blue or red belt somewhere along uh, that period. And I had to teach myself to work with my unique mind, my unique body. Because I'm short and stocky, but also flexible. And Taekwondo is a sport where length can be a very deciding character, uh, very, what's it called? Very big factor and strength and whatever. Now I'm like this in-between guy, especially in my weight division. I would find like people that would be like a few heads taller than me. I'm like, how would you win? Until I start to realize that there is leisure to be found in the frustration because the only reason i'm frustrated is either i'm not accepting the situation as is and you know my perception isn't on you know what is but on how i feel about it which you know feelings can fuck off because they don't have to be true and realizing that playing with the frustration is so much more productive. And then finding a way to implement my father's concepts and theories with the basics I had to relearn with the master he hired for me. And combining that and creating my own art, which had a very Blitzkrieg-like uh, element where I would focus very much on rhythmic sparring. And thus emphasizing not only the expression through music, but also the expression through dance, because also dance has a rhythm. Like you would have, like, you know, uh, a Krishna or Shiva, Shiva, who you would see him dance a lot. Does emphasize yeah, form of dance. Actually, one of his incarnations is Shiva the dancer. So that's super interesting, man, in terms of how you're interpreting like these two different styles, right? One is dancing, one is fighting, but I'm sure you can learn like how Bruce Lee did the cha-cha before, you know, I'm sure you can learn from both aspects or both areas in a sense where maybe you, you do a certain dance move with your elbow and you can use that in your Muay Thai practice. Like I'm sure there's an overlap where you can get inspired by each different, you know, area of expertise and have that overlap really get you to invent your own style and be inspired. I mean, Ido Portal with Conor McGregor being an example of how he emphasizes movement culture, right? And it being so vast. So 
Yeah, powerful, bro. Man, you brought up a lot for me. <laughs> you brought up a lot of different things. So one is one of the things is the idea of games. I love that. I love the idea of games and gamifying situations. Very applicable to the flow state. It's important to have your strengths and using those strengths in the games itself. Also, who plays the best games? Children, right? So it's, when you mentioned healing, it's also healing your inner child as you're making things into games. And also leaders, you talked about leaders and leadership. You know, leaders don't really create sheeps. Leader make sheeps into an Aries ram or they make lions into better lions in a sense. So for leaders, I think that the whole concept of, you know, you can teach them, you can catch a fish for them or you can teach them to fish right, which will help them much more long-term. Like Joe's idea, when I first hired him, he told me, you wanna create like a water factory that's dripping uh, lots of water, different funnels, you know, lots of ways to make money, or you want one little faucet just trickling down, right? So that idea is also important for leadership to look at the bigger picture and see how is this scalable? Because leadership is all about social influence, but I don't even want, want to use that term influence. Um, impact? No, it's probably redirection. Like, you know, you're, you're directing people towards a specific end goal or a specific Guidance. result. Guidance. Yeah. As So yeah, as a leader, you're basically, yeah, guiding people towards a specific end goal, right? So I'm, I'm looking at the idea of sports on how when you play a specific sport, you have the common end goal of winning the game, right? And so in a similar work culture, they still want to have a specific end goal of maybe selling their product, right? So I think in our human genome, there's this hard wiring that we want to win. We want things to work out for us. We want to survive. And so I'm really fascinated by this idea of character as, as you know, you are too. And I've just gotten to this profound thought on how you were speaking and talking. Um, and this brought up for me the three ideas of Greek. What makes a good speech? What makes a great speech is three things in um, what the Greeks believe, which is pathos, which is emotions, logos, which is logic, and ethos, which is character, right? And ethos specifically, it's your beingness and how credible your character is. So can we trust that character? Can we understand what they're saying, right? Are they taking actions that are outside of their character? Like if a guy walked in with a top hat, but then he's wearing bling bling chains and then he's wearing very checkered pants and you know he's wearing like clown shoes, you'd be like, what is going on here? That's too much. I don't know what to classify him as. You know, this is a very unique character. The world hasn't accepted him yet. So he has to be able to take that character and create, 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 to create a new vibration and a rhythm, as you were saying, to create a rhythm for himself so the world can accept him, so the world embraces him. So whenever, you know, Galileo is a great example, you know, the earth, uh, like everyone's like, earth doesn't revolve around the sun or whatever. So, I mean, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, right? So in a sense, like his idea was first of all said, nope, that's not possible. That's not going to work. But it took him some time, right? Even after his death, people finally started to accept it even more, right? With the, when the new studies started to come out. So whenever we start something new, there is this kind of skepticism along with it. There is this grain of doubt along with it. But if you just keep pummeling your content out there, putting your character out there, creating a new movement, a new archetype, a new way of being, slowly that strange guy with the clown shoes and the, all that bling, and that will be accepted. He will be finally said, okay, this is who he is. He's created his own niche. He's, he's in his own lane. He's a trailblazer. He's walking the road less traveled. And he's doing his own thing. And is, isn't that what AZD is doing? Isn't that what Vince Kelvin is doing? Isn't that what all of our mentors are doing in their own unique ways? Like, I haven't seen examples of them anywhere, right? They're doing it. They're like the Avengers of this planet where they're really, they formulated their character so well that it's autopilot for them. 
and this is something you're talking about too, is like, it's second nature, right? Unconscious competence, you've learned it and now you're doing your thing. But yeah, that was what was brought up for me as you said that, I know it's a bit long, but it's basically like, you know, all the thoughts coming across and, and this idea of competition and sports and sports athletes make really, really great leaders because of the fact they have a common end goal that they can look forward to and extending throughout your whole life, right? This lines and process can last us an entire lifetime, right? It doesn't have to end. Even if it does end, we can still use the, the workouts, use the mentality, use the rituals, use the characters and keep building on it. And that, I think that's what makes a great character. It's, it's long-term. I see. So it's about the long game, not the short game. Right, absolutely. Eudaimonia. So, and would then be connected again to character vision, as AD said. Uh, totally, yeah. Having a vision. Visionary, right? The word coming from vision. Yeah, because what is a leader other than a visionary? See what it did there? Let's yeah. see. Where are my thoughts going? I think we mostly talk about all we can talk about but what also made me realize is competition and games is a great way to self-assess isn't that what a thesis is in a way you have a hypothesis and you play the game of finding uh, research papers and playing the game of is what i'm trying to test truly the truth Or am I missing something? It becomes a detective game in a way. A detective novel where we're trying to find, let's say, the murderer or murderer. And slowly but surely, we gain momentum and see, aha, so this is the murder weapon. These are the potential suspects might not even be the real murderers, but they happen to be in the neighborhood. And slowly you start to unfold this mess of a story. And when there's chaos, you introduce order as the leader. And slowly but surely, you start to realize that there's more to it than initially meets the eye. And at some point, Or points, you get key moments, pivot points in storytelling. And you start to realize, wait a minute, I've gotten this all wrong. And that's the moment where we start to realize, and we, we as audiences love the moment where Sherlock Holmes or whatever, you know, detective character or lawyer realizes is, oh, so This is the motivation behind it. This is how it all connects. And you have to state with, with the, you know, the character, you know, like, ah. And those are usually the memorable shows where you start to realize, oh, perfect. I'm participating in the life of such a character. Right. And, I, and I'm like reminded almost of the idea of You know how we have different groups or like secret societies and things like that. Like sure. when you detective, I was reminded of the movie <laughs> Detective Pikachu. Ah, you still have to see that. So good, but basically, like this, you know, he's aiding this investigation and using basically Pikachu as his detective partner, right? And he's the only guy who can talk with Pikachu, right? He's the only one who can actually communicate. With Pikachu. So a lot of the times, you know, these secret societies or, or communities or master classes, they have an inside joke with them that only they know. So they speak to the, the people using codes or they, they dress in a very specific way. Like I know that, you know, uh, example of Lion's Den, like we wear these beads and people ask us, what the is, what's with the beads, man? You know, well, I'm a spiritual being having a human existence, you know. Uh, why do this of uh, the story Bodhidharma where he cut his hand off to show commitment you know what is 
you know, why cold showers? Oh, cold showers. Well, we have this cold shower routine as a part of, you know, and so all these little inside jokes sort of trickle in. And I think that's, that's what makes the, the mystery, which a detective unravels mystery, it makes the mystery more easily digestible or able to look for clues to finally, you know, help themselves in a sense. What's me Scooby-Doo coming after you? <laughs> in that way. So we're gonna solve that mystery. So yeah, it's such an interesting idea, you know, to, to create your own mystery machine. And when I say mystery machine, I'm talking about your mind. Okay. And the mind is chaos. The mind has so many different ideas. And so as investigators, what we're doing is we're taking on the, the role of Apollo or the person who wants to put order into things or Sherlock in a sense and make sense of our mind. And when we make sense of our mind, we make sense of reality. Well, funny you should say that. I literally just Googled mystery, doing a quick uh, Jamie from Joe uh, Rogan podcast. And yeah. so apparently mystery has an association with the mystic, the hidden, the religious, the symbolism. Now, uh, com basically says mystery is a noun that comes from the Greek mysterion, meaning the secret right or doctrine. Which is literally what the you know what the beasting routines are. It's a rite of passage. Wow, that's wild! <laughs> that's so cool. It is basically a synonym for enigma. And what bigger enigma is there than our own mind? It is like we as a human kind have asked. You know, there was a while back where. Uh, we, especially I, made the argument that the modern world is missing a lot of rites of passages for men specifically. And in my case, I tried to uh, find my own rite of passage through martial arts. And now this beasting rituals, these lion's den rituals, these lion's den rituals are now a new form where you build a character so that you could be a more effective employee, employer, leader, you name it, etc. That's that's pretty interesting. It's, it's, it's like you're using these rituals to find out more about the mystery that is you. Hence, going all the way back to how accurate is your self-assessment if you do not partake in daily rituals, keeping yourself accountable, etc., 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 and all coming from a place of true ease and love and care and healing and start to realize for some reason we have learned to tense when, especially me, I'm definitely guilty of it, tense when challenges come about. Why do we do that? Why was this taught in such a way? Why is homework such a bad thing? Why is this and why is that? And thus, we go through the idea of questioning what is deemed as such and not as such, which I think is, I think, uh, one of the daily lessons of yesterday, where I believe uh, Ryan Holiday writes about, and of course, I removed the bookmark. God damn it where he basically goes on about why not, you know, question the philosophy of modern society, where you would basically not only wonder what is proper, what isn't proper, but really question everything, especially the self-assessment. I mean, if I did not do theater, I would have never known my love for English and my love for presentation and my love for dancing. If, if my dad 
did not drop me off at a random party over that. Well, not really random, but asked me very randomly, Ryan, you're going to a dance party, but can you dance? And we come to the realization of that I don't know what to do. I never danced before in my life. And then you're going in 15 minutes having to explain, okay, this is this kind of music. This is that kind of music on his radio in the car. And I remember just going, oh shit, this, this, this is like a performance that it's like, yeah, this is like theater anyway. And I'm being completely stressed the fuck out. And just looking back years later and realizing, I cannot imagine that 13 year old kid having fun, but only to, you know, give his ticket, pay the fee or pay the fee, get his ticket, go in, seeing his friends, seeing his peers and being that honest in, I don't know how to dance, can you teach me? And hence why I have such an association with, a positive association with the song, songs of Sean uh, Paul and, you know, the Soka movement and uh, what's it called again? I can't, I can't remember the whole Ricky Ton vibe. Because Sean Paul, Sonokosaden. And it, it had such a positive impact on me because it made me realize wait a minute. This is something I did not know about myself. And only years later, finding out that not only do I have Indian heritage, because, you know, my family comes from UP, we have, you know, blood heritage there, but apparently we have, uh, I think, Jewish gypsy blood, and gypsies are known for theater presentation and, of course, the hustle that is trading. And being yeah. doing a lot of things in business, and the more you realize it, the more I I start to understand why you know both sides, the leaders would always dance. It's very peculiar that they will that both you know my 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 dada and my nana, my uh, father of my father and my father of my mother were like great dancers and great fighters, and somehow you know to either some kind of spiritual genetic stuff. I don't know, Frank White can explain it way better. Some of the grandkids have that. However, I would like to put money on the table that I'm the better dancer. Depending yeah. on my cousins. I don't know, now you're calling people out, bro. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Not that I expect him to, to listen to the podcast, but if ever they get to this episode, you know, kudos for listening, brothers. But yeah. uh, how much do you want to put on the table and when do we start? <laughs> Man, brother, you're, you're talking a little bit about this idea of what is your true worth, right? And I think that that's such an important question because, you know, how you value yourself as a leader gives you more opportunities, or I wouldn't say gives you, but you get to see the opportunities. It's almost in a sense, your perception changes because there, there have been a lot of times in my life where I see, you know, opportunities kind of like cars crossing me by, you know, like kind of like, oh yeah, that's another one that goes, oh, okay, see ya, you know, like that. But it's another thing altogether to notice that how close you are to those cars as you're standing close to them and noticing the colors and, and really going into and carjacking one of them and like, you know, breaking, breaking it and making one of those cars your own. You know, that's a strange analogy, but you know, like find a way to grand theft auto your way towards your dreams. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, <laughs> obviously don't break the laws of the land. I don't have to give a disclaimer here, but you know, <laughs> in any case, but yeah, it's really about, we might have to start with that first, Sumit. Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to have to start with a disclaimer. You know, it's all for entertainment. You know, don't break laws of the land as, as ADG does. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of having a common mission or a common goal is super important. And since we are coming down to an hour now, just a steady wrap up, 
you know, in the sense of we were talking a lot about the idea of ease healing us, the idea of unawareness or blind spots, teaching ourselves what is accurate in our thinking and our perception and the assessment of ourselves, um, the importance of using our voice appropriately, you know, uh, me and Ryan were speaking earlier to this, and we were also talking about the idea of how some girls respond better to a chill and a calm voice, almost like like you just woke up from bed type of voice, rather than a more, hey, how's it going? A very in-your-face direct way. However, you need to sometimes turn that on too, um, in the right moment, calibrate it. And to teach people how to fish, not to buy fish for them from the market. And this idea of social guidance to be the leader, to be the pioneer or the engineer of your own life, to show people the path so that they have permission to allow themselves to step into a similar path or maybe even get inspired by that. And having a credible character, having a trustworthy character so that people can see you and be like, I can depend on this guy. I can depend on this woman. I can depend on this person like they're my colleague or maybe they're my friend. And at the same time, you know, how are people playing that? What roles are people playing in your life? Are you caging yourself around your role to say, I'm only a doctor and I can't do anything else. You know, I can't go to the amusement park, I'm a doctor. Well. Are you caging yourself in your potential because of your profession, because of the role that you're playing, right? So that's one thing to recognize because, you know, I think that being a great leader, you give people in your group roles, right? For instance, we're doing these genius days. Um, just a quick shout out on that. We're going to do genius days for um, people in the Flow Jedi's group uh, with three coaches involved, uh, Ryan, as well as uh, Alejandro and myself. And we're all going to give our unique perspective just to add value and it's fully donation based and it's really going to help you guys out so if you are interested in this if you've listened to the podcast this far and you want to find out more about that either message ryan or myself and we will add you to that group and give you the zoom link it's every sunday uh and the timings for me it's 8 p.m indian standard time uh what time is it for you ryan i believe it's 3 30 right 3 30 indeed indeed 3 30 indeed um, do you mind if I do a quick uh, one-minute rant on what you just said? So yeah, go. something that just came up was I agree with everything that you said. However, I, I would like to advocate if a business is a machine that solves a problem so that a problem is solved and that you get money, isn't a game, the creation of games, very similar to the creation of a business? Because it's nothing more than we are playing the social, you know, the, the social game of a business with rules and regulation and whatever, and thus helping each other out. Now, what came up was, wait a minute, if martial arts, theater, you name it, is nothing more than a demonstration of a, you know, that you're playing a game, violent or non-violent as it may be, why not do that as well for creating an accurate self-assessment? So what would it mean to create this accurate self-assessment according to stoicism? It would mean, again, using your example of cars, how do you relate to the car in the same way, how do I relate to the four virtues of stoicism, wisdom, temperance, and courage, and of course, justice. And from that perspective, you can also start judging yourself, meaning if I'm afraid of something, am I afraid of it because it would put me in danger, or if it's simply a new path of growth I have yet to overcome the disease that is they're present and then you start to realize if you could gamify and I think this is the conclusion that we've managed to reach in multiple points during this podcast so-called pivot points that we start to realize that 
this true success that we can create is both in the perception of what we're doing and of course achieving, as well as if we can create money machines through business, stocks, investment, and whatever, we can also create machines, aka games, to lead better lives and create tribes in such a way. And I believe I'll end it on that. Yeah, guys, create your mystery machines. <laughs> create your mystery yeah. machines or machines to solve mysteries. Exactly. This is the Scooby-Doo channel. Fab Nation represent. I hope this has been useful for you. May your life never be the same. This has been Fab Nation. My name is Ryan S. Gavrukan, strategic data aligned coach. And of course, my host, Sumit Jadidi from the Flow Zone Academy. Have That's fun. Right. Be the best, fuck the rest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're offended, if your shoe fits, and au revoir. <laughs>